Uh, my wife and I have known Andrew and Carrie for a long time, went to college with them. <laughs> but on top of that, um, yeah, they, they, uh, we've done kind of ministry alongside each other in Texas for a season. We're all in Texas together. They are now pastoring the church in Seattle. So Andrew is the lead pastor of, of Mosaic Community Church in Seattle, which is an Antioch church. And uh, being that my wife is from the area, we're up there all the time. So it's kind of like a second church home to us, which is fun, just being up there all the time with them. And um, there they have a powerful, powerful story of finding Jesus and walking by faith in the midst of trials and pain. And our stories may be different than them, but I believe that all of us are going to connect because we live in a world that hurts sometimes. We live in a world that's not perfect. So I'm going to share a powerful story of walking by faith in the midst of pain. They're going to bring it. So I'm going to pray uh, as they share their story. I'm going to pray for them, and we're going to be blessed today. So Father, thank you for Andrew and Carrie. God, thank you the way that you have deposited faith in this couple. God, in the midst of very difficult times, God, I pray uh, let this story give hope. Let your word come forth and breathe hope. And I pray, let your kingdom come. I pray, would you deposit faith in the midst of our pain? Would you deposit faith in the midst of whatever is going on in this church? And God, would you deposit faith in this church body that would stick with us for many years and seasons to come? Bless them, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, just a few weeks ago, uh, my family and I were in Tijuana, uh, Mexico. Our church takes trips down all the way from Seattle uh, to go to Tijuana, and we brought a team of 34 down there, as well as our family and one other family, and then just a bunch of young adults, and got to see God do amazing things. Uh, it's really fun in Seattle. We have a lot of uh, just new believers in our church, and we also have a lot of really, really smart people. And one of the guys that we took on this trip to Tijuana is an aerospace engineer who does consulting for NASA. So this guy speaks at space conferences, which I love to make fun of him for. And he talks about space. And he, he came on this trip, and he's never seen um, God move in power. He's never seen miracles. On that trip, we saw 25 uh, Mexicans make first-time decisions to follow Jesus and we saw God uh, heal 25 different people physically, like we got to see it with our own eyes. And uh, one thing that happened is this guy, John, who speaks at space conferences, uh, he invited someone to hear the hope of Jesus, to hear the message of the gospel for the first time. And this guy, along with his young son, said yes and received Jesus. After he received Jesus, John asked him if there's anything that he could pray for him for. And the guy said, well, I, I can't see out of one of my eyes. Um, my, this, my left eye has gone blind, and I, I can't, it's completely dark. I can't see out of it. And so John, uh, just, with, just, just with a little bit of faith, just because he'd heard testimonies from the night before, just as a risk, he said, hey, well, could we just pray that, that God would open up your eye that you could see? And it turned into this moment where almost our whole team was watching along with my uh, four little kids, and we're, we're all watching, and, and several people are praying. And over the course of about 15 minutes, God completely opened this guy's eye. Where he couldn't see, he was able to see. And I'll never forget, while that was, while that was an extremely powerful moment that we saw God move, I'll never actually forget putting my son to bed that night. 
So I'm putting my six-year-old son to bed. Hey, good night, buddy. Hey, love you. How, how was the day today? How was your day? He goes, Dad, today was the best day of my whole life. Now, when you're six, you can say that, right? He's had six years. So this, this might have been. Like, this is, po- hey, hey, buddy, why? Why was today? And I honestly, I, I, didn't, I didn't even connect it. I didn't know why he thought today was the best day of his whole life. I said, hey, buddy, why? Why was today the best day of your whole life? He looked at me like I was an idiot. Dad, that guy's eye got completely healed. He couldn't see, and now he can see. It was incredible. I was like, wow, you're right. You're right, you're right, you're right. Good night, bud. And, I, you know, and then I went to bed, like, feeling sad. Like, what have I lost? Like, why have I, for- today was the best day of my life. Like, this guy who couldn't see. Now he can see, and I just, I wonder sometimes we get knit into this community, a church like this, where we're actually seeing God move marvelously, we're seeing him move miraculously, we're seeing him touch people's lives, and it's just become another day. Oh, every day we get to see God do miracles, we get to walk with him, and it's not an ordinary day, there are no ordinary days. I love uh, Mark and Crystal Speeder. We've known them for years, as Mark said, um, over 12 years. Knew them before they were married. Got to see them date, all right? That, that was an opportunity. That was something. <laughs> so thankful for them. They're so trustworthy. If I lived in Fullerton, I would absolutely be a part of this church. I trust them. I would follow them. Uh, you're blessed to be here, and we're blessed to be here. So thankful to be with you this morning. Just believe that God is going to uh, release extravagant faith in different ones of us this morning. Extravagant faith. You know, I, I, I used to think that extravagant faith was believing God in, in, in the middle of this powerful moment, right? Like, um, uh, almost like a movie scene, you know, where there's like background music that's building and it's like the suspense is in the air and like this is my moment to believe God and, and I, I get a choice either to believe God or not to believe God and extravagant faith is like is believing God in that moment and then ta-da and then God does the thing and then wow, that's my moment of extravagant faith. But I've learned, I've, I've just learned over the years um, that extravagant faith, actually I don't believe looks like that at all. Extravagant faith is actually enduring faith. Extravagant faith isn't faith for a moment, no matter how powerful the moment. Extravagant faith is faith that lasts day after day, year after year, for some of us, decade after decade. Extravagant faith is faith that pays no mind to the circumstances, pays no mind to the longevity of the suffering. Extravagant faith is faith that endures. You know, in Hebrews 11, we, we see the, the, really the great hall of extravagant faith. Many of the, the big biblical names, the heroes, the, the names that people still recognize all over the world are found in Hebrews 11, Abel and Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Moses, Rahab, David, on and on. People of extravagant 
faith. And one of my favorite passages in Hebrews 11 is verses 32 through 34. And it reads this way. It's going on talking about these just extravagant people of faith. And it says, what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness and became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Don't you love that? Oh, I love that. I can, I can get behind that kind of a lifestyle. Enforce justice. Stop the mouths of lions. Quench the power of fire. I mean, sign me up. Right? Let's do this. Is that what Reach Fullerton looks like or Engage? Let's do this. Sign me up. I mean, that's, isn't that the kind of faith that stirs us? Isn't that what we long to be a part of? Isn't that why we love movies? Because we get to see glimpses, these moments of conquering and justice and power. I love that. I love Hebrews 11. What I, what I don't like, what I don't like to think about or, or really talk about is, is that Hebrews 11 also mentions stories that end with terrible earthly outcomes. We see this turn that happens in Hebrews 11. Actually, there's not even a verse break for it. It's right in the middle of the verse. All of a sudden, we, we, we just see this turn. Let me show you. Um, verse 35, the very next verse picks up. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Whoa, yes! It's amazing. Then there's a turn. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Yeah! Sign me up. Hebrews 11, this great hall of faith, it celebrates enduring, extravagant faith, not successful earthly outcomes. We don't get to choose which side of the hall of faith God's called us to. I want to be on the like, conquering the enemy and Stopping the mouths of lions and quenching. I want to be on that side. Put me on that side. Don't, don't, don't put me on the sawn in two side. 
But we don't get to choose. God hasn't called us to successful earthly outcomes. God has called us to finish the race with enduring faith. God doesn't promise us uh, success in this moment that's fleeting. God promises us unspeakable joy for eternity. Over the years, just because we're human, God's given Carrie and I a few opportunities to have enduring faith, to have faith that's not based on earthly outcomes. And I, I wanna share uh, one of these stories with you. I wanna give you a little bit of background. Um, I'm gonna fly through this for the sake of time. But 12 years ago, uh, Carrie and I went on a mission trip together and Carrie contracted a parasite that wreaked havoc on her body. After a year of regular hospital visits, uh, pretty extreme sickness, and a two-week visit to the Mayo Clinic, the doctors told us that Carrie would have to just manage this sickness for the rest of her life. There was an unclear diagnosis. There was no pathway to health or healing. It was just gonna be sickness management for the rest of her life. One other thing that they told us at the Mayo Clinic was that she would never be able to carry a pregnancy to full term. After that diagnosis, we had a conviction from God that Carrie would be healed and, and that we would not just have one baby, but actually that we would have a clan. God gave us that word, and that was an important word for us to hold on to, that God was calling us to have a clan. So for a few years, we continued the hospital treatments, and we also began persistently praying and fasting that Carrie would be healed. During that season, Carrie got pregnant three times, and she miscarried three times. To make a long story short, after a few years, God miraculously healed Carrie. Doctors were astounded and surprised. We were so happy and honestly at that point surprised. God healed her and we were able to have a baby. And so we had three babies in four years. It's just fruitful time. It was just a good time. But carrying and birthing each of those three uh, was a very real battle. Each one for different reasons. Things like preeclampsia, emergency C-sections, cancer, reconstructive face surgery, partial bowel blockages, all of these during these three pregnancies or births. It was, it was a very real season for us, a very challenging season. After three kids, uh, Carrie's body really was just a, it was a mess. And I'll, I'll never forget being in the operating room after our third baby uh, was delivered. She was an emergency C-section. Uh, they got her out. Everything calmed down in the room. And then the doctor leaned over my wife's face in the operating room. I was right there. I'll never forget seeing this doctor leaned over my wife's face and said, no more babies. 
No more babies. Your body can't handle it. You're finished. And I remember thinking, wow, rough timing. I mean, come on. I was actually pretty furious that she had communicated in that way at that time. Nevertheless, when it was all said and done, we totally agreed. We were like, this just doesn't make sense. We feel like there's wisdom on that. No more babies. We're finished. So with three children, we were thankful. We began using birth control methods. And here's where the God story begins. Several months after we were told not to have another baby, uh, God began to speak to me that in fact we were going to have another baby. Three just wasn't a clan. Four was a clan. Three was a few. Four was a clan. And so I, I just kind of like wouldn't receive that word. God would speak that in several different ways and I just kept saying, no, no thanks. Thanks, but no thanks. That can't be God. We tried to ignore these words. We continued to try to prevent pregnancy. And then one day, to our surprise, Carrie became pregnant. When she went in for her first doctor's appointment, the ultrasound showed that the pregnancy was hopeless. There was zero chance that this baby was going to make it. They said that the uterine wall was extremely thin and that over the course of the pregnancy, the uterine wall would inevitably tear. That meant that the baby would certainly die. And actually, the doctor said the longer that we wait to abort this baby, the greater the chances not only that the baby will certainly die, but actually that Carrie's life would be in danger as well. The further she got into pregnancy, the more likely she would bleed out before she made it to the hospital. The doctor's strong advice was, was that we abort the baby immediately because it was just a matter of time before Carrie would miscarry. I asked what our options were. They said there are no options. You can either abort right now or you can miscarry later. Now, my wife is an incredible uh, warrior of faith. I mean, if you meet her and even just seeing her, she looks so kind and so sweet, and she is. And also, underneath all of that is this bulldog, right, that has one owner, and that is the Lord Jesus himself. And she is a bulldog of faith. And so I just, I wasn't terribly surprised when the doctor told us we needed to abort and we said, can we pray about it for a few days? I wasn't terribly surprised when we went home and Carrie heard the Lord say, you are going to have this baby. You're gonna carry this baby and you're gonna have this baby. That was the day that we got to begin practicing enduring faith was the day that God offered us a chance to walk with him and to trust him and to take him at his word. Enduring faith for me began with this echoed prayer that God gave me. And it was a prayer that I prayed every day during this season. I would, I would say it out loud, I would shout it in our home and I would say it under my breath most of the time. It was this, healthy baby, healthy mama, build the wall. Healthy baby, healthy mama, build the wall. And of course, I was speaking of the uterine wall. 
But this became a mantra for me. It was, a, it was a place of intimacy with God. I remember at least two times waking myself up in the middle of the night saying this prayer. Healthy baby, healthy mama, build the wall. I was carrying this word from the Lord. And although it was an incredibly challenging time, we also found Romans 15, 13 to be incredibly accurate. Romans 15, 13 says this. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Let's leave that up for a second. You see, what, what I think I am prone to do, because I long for joy and I long for peace so much that when the challenge comes, I'd rather run from the faith. I'd rather run from the hard decisions so that I can experience the peace and the joy that I'm looking for. We all want peace and joy, but the promise of God here is that the peace and joy that we're looking for it comes in believing. It's actually in believing. We can't run from our faith to find peace and joy. It's in the process of believing. It's in believing that the Holy Spirit fills us with joy and peace so that in any season, supernaturally, we may abound in hope. As we got further along, uh, the doctors were increasingly concerned I mean, this was like high specialists. We had a team of four high-risk doctors at the UW hospital assigned to us, and we had appointments every single week. And at the 20 to 30-week zone, once we crossed 20 weeks, we entered something called the danger zone. They called it this because the baby would be growing extremely fast during this time, and the uterus would be expanding at a rapid rate, and they were certain that as the uterus expanded, it was going to tear. And they were certain that when it happened, the baby was going to die. And it was likely that when the baby died, that Carrie might die as well. During this time, Carrie and I had a conversation uh, that I'll just never forget. I remember where we were driving when we had it. And the conversation was about her funeral. And I just remember asking Carrie, sweetie, I want to talk with you about this. We're making this faith decision. I want to talk with you about your funeral. And she said, Andrew, she said, I know that if I die, people are going to be sad. I know that if I die, you're going to be, you're going to be really sad. But please don't make my funeral sad. She said, if, if I die because I believed God, then make my funeral a celebration of the God who is worth believing in. Enduring faith. And we, we learned this important principle during this time of walking out enduring faith. We call it taking it to the end. And it looks something like this. When you're stepping into believing for something impossible, or you're stepping into believing something that has a potential terrible earthly outcome, you have to take it to the end. And what I mean by that is you have to imagine at the beginning of the journey, you have to imagine what if this doesn't end the way I want it to. You have to see yourself 
at the end, not getting the thing you're believing for. So whatever it is, right, the person you're believing for dies. You don't get the job you're applying for. You don't get into the school that you're wanting to get into. The relationship doesn't work out that you're believing for. Whatever it is, you have to, at the beginning of the journey, go there in your mind. See yourself at the end, not getting the outcome that you desire. And when you get to that place and you can see yourself at the end, you gotta ask yourself two questions. Is God still God? And is God still good? And at the beginning of the journey, if you can answer those questions without the outcome you're desiring, yes, God is still God, even if I don't get this. And yes, God is still good, even if this doesn't happen. If you can answer those questions, yes, then you can live free. You can be free in the journey. You can take the risk of believing God because the answer that you're looking for doesn't put God's character on trial. You've already resolved, you've already decided in your heart, God is God and God is good and you've been invited into a journey of enduring faith. No matter what the outcome you know, as much faith and hope and joy as we were experiencing, obviously, this was an incredibly stressful time for us. You know, the timing of God, we don't get to pick when the trials come. And it was right during this season that our church um, had an opportunity to purchase our very first building right in the middle of Seattle, Washington. And our, our church was growing and building in faith as well right at the same time. And I just remember just throwing my hands up. I just, God, what are you doing? And I, early in the morning, I remember one morning early, I got up and I went to the office and I was looking out the window. It wasn't a good view. It was just like some trees and kind of a random street. And it was early, all by myself. And I just, in the middle of the stress, began calling out to God. God, where are you? My quiet times aren't quiet, sorry. It wasn't, a, it wasn't a meditative, reflective time. I was petitioning, right, for God to move. And I was looking out the window, and I was like, God, move this. Where are you? What are you doing? I need your help. No to this sickness. Healthy baby, healthy mama, build the wall. Just yelling out to God. And so I was standing in my office. God, God just, it was like God just walked in the room. And it was as if he, he tapped me on the shoulder. And I, I began having, as I was meeting with God, I began having this vision. I, I don't use that word often, but I had, I had like an open vision. And in, in front of me, I saw these two mountains, giant snow-capped mountains. And I knew these two mountains, one represented this pregnancy and one represented our building project. And so I don't know what you do with mountains, but I just began to shout at the mountains, okay, great, I got a visual. Go in Jesus' name, be moved in Jesus' name. And I began shouting at these mountains with just the presence of God in the room. And, and, and it was like he tapped me on the shoulder. And he said, Andrew, love you so much. And I said, thanks. <laughs> and then he said, I'm so proud of you. And 
then he said, you're, you're doing the right thing. I was like, okay, thanks. He said, but you're, you're doing it from the wrong perspective. And, and then it's like in, in the vision, I'm like looking at these two mountains and the two mountains kind of merge into one mountain. And then I, and then I begin, I begin to, to float, like not really floating in the room, but like in, in my mind, as I'm looking at this mountain, I actually begin to rise and I'm staring at the mountain, but I'm, and I'm just slowly rising. And then I'm kind of even with the middle of it. And then I'm at the top of it. And then I'm going higher and higher, same mountain. I'm just staring at this. I'm going higher and higher and higher and higher. And then I, and then I get up to that, like, you know, that like airplane view where you're looking down, and I, and I know it's the same mountain, and I'm, I'm, and I'm looking down on it, and God says, do it from here. And, and I just, just began praying differently. Just move. <laughs> just have to move. I came out of that prayer time and I went and picked up my phone and I had a, a text from Carrie that morning. She had texted while I was praying and it was a, you know, it was it was a deep text, you know, one of those long ones. And all these encouragements and 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 right in the middle of that text, I, I took a picture of it and I saved it. Right in the middle of that text, she said, Andrew, I'm believing God's giving you the higher perspective this morning. I just Pray for your spouse. Well, I don't have time to tell all the stories. God did so many miracles in this. One of the most amazing was, was the day that Carrie's uterine wall actually did, uh, did rupture. Uh, we, we went in to the doctor, and they did an ultrasound, and the ultrasound lasted for about an hour, which was longer than normal. And everyone looked confused. And you know, you ever look at an ultrasound and like you kind of act like you know what's going on, but you have no idea. You think you see something, you're like, oh, I think that was the probably. You know, you're nodding, they're nodding, you're nodding. And that is, you know. We were in there for an hour, so you can only fake it for so long. You're just like, what are they doing? And they came out of that appointment uh, and they shared with us that um, indeed uh, her uterus had ruptured, it had torn. Um, but it didn't tear in the place that they thought it would, and it actually tore um, right where her bladder was situated. And so their words, not mine, right? The bladder was acting as a wall for the uterus. So many things God did, and I remember the, the morning of the cesarean, we had a we had 35 weeks of miraculous um, pregnancy, and then we had a scheduled cesarean. It was this incredible day, this incredible victory, and that morning, uh, some of our close friends and some of the leaders in, in our church came up to be with us at the hospital, and, and after we prayed, I, I remember um, there was a team of doctors in the room and there were nurses in the room and they were about to wheel her in to have the cesarean. And I saw the most extravagant faith that I've ever seen in my life in that moment. We're in there, everyone was so happy. We're about to, still a very complicated high-risk surgery, but we'd gotten to this point. 
And the doctor came in kind of casually and said, Mrs. Bach, um, we think it's a good idea to go ahead and tie your tubes during this surgery. And I was like, yes, that is, we, we think that too, you know. And, and, uh, and, and so the doctor looks at Carrie and says, but I need your consent to do that. Could I have your consent? And Carrie looks at the doctor and says, um, yes, as long as when you open me up, you don't find that my body has been completely healed by God. And the doctor's like, what? <laughs> and I'm like, what? <laughs> and Carrie says, you have to understand, we've only gotten to this point by the grace and the power of God. And God might decide to heal me between now and when we go in for this cesarean. And if he does, I'd like to have more babies. So if you open me up and I'm completely healed, I don't want you to tie my tubes. The room was just silent. Doctor says, we'll get consent once we're in there. So we go in for the cesarean. I was sitting right behind the curtain with my wife. It was a successful procedure. They got our fourth baby out. And then the doctor yells from across the curtain, Mrs. Bach, may we have your consent to tie your tubes? I look at my wife, and she says, how do I look? <laughs> doctor says, just like we thought. And Carrie says, okay. You can tie my tubes. I want to show you a picture of our family as I invite Carrie to come and share. Um, just celebrate what God has done. I love this picture. There's so many reasons I love this picture. One of them being Colette. She is our youngest, the one the story is about. She is the one in the pink dress, and she's just kind of staring intently. That's her personality. So if you get at her smile, it's like you won a million bucks. And I love this picture because it, for me and for our family, is an altar of remembrance. The Israelites would build stones, like stack up stones to be these places of these altar of remembrance. But for me, I look at this picture and I think, this is my altar of remembrance of the goodness and the kindness of God. For so many of you, if you would have seen this picture without hearing the story, you just would have thought, man, they're good at making kids. They had four kids in five years. That's pretty impressive. There's always a but God story in every person that you're coming in contact with. There's always a but God story. Don't base your thoughts and your perceptions on what you see on the surface. My story isn't my story at all. It's actually a but God story. I love that picture. And I love it because it helps me to remember again that God is a God worth believing in. Because, you know, when this story finished, another one began. I'm going to be having story after story after story until I get to see Jesus face to face. Because this world is not what it was meant to be. 
And so this picture in our family, it helps me remember to believe again in the midst of the things that we are in now. And Andrew said it this, he said it earlier just in passing, but this story didn't really feel like a story in the moment. Most stories aren't this one moment factor, but they're a lifestyle. They're a lifestyle of pressing into God in the mundane. Stories are actually made in the mundane. What are you doing in your mundane? This story, most of the story was done raising three kids. Sweeping up Cheerios. We eat gluten in our house. I don't know if other people do, but we love gluten, and so we have all the Cheerios. And it was wiping messy faces. It was paying the bills and cleaning the house. But God. It's always the but God that makes the mundane into a story that glorifies him. And so in the places that you feel like your life is not going anywhere, like your story has no meaning, if you will just keep on saying, but God, but God, he knit me together in my mother's womb, and I have a plan and a purpose, so it does not matter how much I think my life looks mundane, because it's a but God story. This, that picture with my little girl, my two-year-old who runs around all the time right now, she is literally a medical miracle. We will take her back to the doctors who told us to abort her, and they will just almost start weeping because they're like, I can't believe we told you to abort her. We will take her back into the NICU where we spent several weeks after she was born, and all the doctors are like, we can't, we can't believe it. And I'm like, yeah. That story wouldn't have happened, but God. So I just feel like there's something for people in this room. I think there's people in this room who have been told there will be this outcome. And that is true in this world. But we don't live by what we see. We are people who live in the unseen. And your story is meant to be a but God story. That was a side note. So as we were walking through the mundaneness of just this story, one of the things that God really did in my life and our lives was teaching us how to thrive in the midst of our weakness. And one of the biggest hurdles I kept on coming to when I would just feel the struggle the most is when I realized that my expectation went from a place of faith and expectation to a place of entitlement. God showed me that often my hardships in this journey, and not only this journey, but my whole entire life had been places that my faith had turned into actually a place of entitlement. And I, I just want to define what the difference is real fast. Expectation is a strong belief that something will happen or be the case in the future. Entitlement is a belief that one is inherently deserving of that future. Put another way, I went from wanting God to wanting the promises. At something in me is always going towards just wanting the promises instead of actually just wanting God himself, the living God, the Father God. I don't know how my heart is so fickle, but it is. And so often I go from actually wanting God to wanting the promises. And my faith goes from expectation to entitlement. And the sense of entitlement can look different in different seasons. 
in different time periods and even in the same trials. You know, Andrew was saying that we had this conversation in the strong suggestion to the point that they had already prepared the operating room for me was abortion. And I remember sitting there and I remember God just so, so clearly saying, Carrie, I'm the giver and taker of life. You do not get to choose. I am the giver and the taker of life. And so my place of entitlement of wanting to say, I want to see my three kids grow up. I want to see my three kids make it to adulthood. I want the laughter and the life. I want the comfortability. He said, you don't get that. You're not entitled to comfort or safety. You're not even entitled to decide if you live or die. I, and I alone, am the giver and the taker of life. Sometimes I just want to live safe. Sometimes I just want to go to sleep. We have four kids. I am often tired, and I just want to sleep. And he says, are you living from a place of expectation or entitlement? The other way entitlement can look is you can believe for a certain outcome and not get it the way you thought you would. Andrew was telling a story about our uter- my uterus tearing. And the prayer throughout the whole time was build the wall, build the wall, build the wall. We would say that over and over and over again. And I remember we get out of the ultrasound. They say, hey, your uterus actually tore, but good news, the bladder is filling in. And everybody around us was excited and so ex- expected and like, isn't God so good? And I was like, God, no, I prayed for you to heal my uterus wall. I was disappointed. To be very, very honest, it was actually a really challenging time for me. Because you see, as long as my uterine was torn, I was bound to the city of Seattle. I couldn't go anywhere. We had several trips we were supposed to take that I couldn't take. I couldn't, I wasn't supposed to do anything. I was basically on bed rest at home, but I had three kids. So that means you're not really on bed rest. And I just was disappointed because I was like, God, I have been praying and believing for my uterine to be built. And you filled it in with a bladder? I mean, how entitled can I be? And God is so much kinder than I am even to myself sometime. And he just gently, he, he took me. And he said in a time with him, he said, dear one, Are you living from a place of expectation or are you living from a place of entitlement? And it's so tricky. This is so tricky. I'm a faith person. It's a gift that God's given me. I'm so, it really is. If you're a faith person, it's nothing of your own doing. It's just a gift. It's faith is a gift. And it's so tricky for me to walk this line because we believe big and rightly so that the answer is yes and amen. That's the answer. I want to just say over every promise that is in your life, the Bible actually says the answer is yes and amen. But sometimes the privilege is getting to see it here. And sometimes the privilege is getting to see it when he's wiping away every tear from your eye in the place where he makes all wrong things right. He is our victorious warrior And sometimes we see that victory here on this side of heaven. And sometimes the privilege is for us to see it on the other. 
Both times it's a privilege to believe and walk with our God, and we don't get to choose the outcome. Faith pleases God, so believe big. Don't stop believing. Believe big. But I just want to say that the higher degree of faith is a faith that believes that God is good even when the outcome doesn't happen your way. That's actually a higher degree of faith. That's actually being a true man or woman of faith. It's believing God is good no matter what may come. You know, there's this famous uh, verse in the Bible that people quote often. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. But how can your heart be sick if your hope is not in a circumstance but in the living God who is living hope? It's when we put our expectation into circumstances instead of the living God. Our heart can't be made sick for long if our hope is actually in God and not the circumstance. Church, as followers of Christ, we are called to be a people of faith no matter the cost. And I think all of us have these warriors of faith in our life, whether it's from the Bible or just people that we've studied throughout church history. And every single one of those practiced enduring faith. If you actually really look at their life, you see that they had 40 long years in the wilderness that they walked through fire, that they lost family and friends, that they had no earthly comfort or security. And many times they lost their life. I just gently want to say something this morning that I know can seem edgy, but it's not, it's actually not meant to be edgy. It really is just the Bible broken down. And this, it's this, is salvation is a free gift. All of us come to Jesus. It's a free gift, costly to him, but free to us. But if you want to be a person of faith, it's going to cost. I don't know what it will actually cost you, but it will cost something. It will cost time or effort or money or security. It will cost you something. Faith costs. And that faith might cost you, and you might not get the outcome you wanted. And in that point, you say, Jesus, the cross is enough. That the cross is enough. Where the earthly outcomes don't work out, the cross, is the cross enough for you in your life? To be honest, I have to fight going back to that place when things don't work out. I have to say, God, I repent that in this moment the cross doesn't feel like it's enough for me. But your costly sacrifice for my free gift is more than I could ever deserve. The cross is enough. When we demand more than the cross for us to say that God is good, we go from being a people of expectation to entitlement. When you walk hand in hand with God, then things that often seem paradoxical paradoxical become compatible. God taught me during growing Colette that thriving and brokenness could actually be hand in hand. A theme verse for me during this time was 2 Corinthians 4, 7, and it says this, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. And I love this verse because it freed me. It freed me to be weak and to be broken because I realized I was just a jar. 
And no matter how good my jar or your jar looks, it's actually never about the jar anyways. It's about the treasure within. And as I would try to pull it all together in times of just so much weakness and brokenness, and I would try to pull it all together, God would say, Carrie, beloved, what if your breaking is actually what releases the treasure into the lives of the people around you? You completely matter. I hope you hear this. I'm not saying the pains and the trials of your life don't matter. As I look around this room, I can't imagine the abuse and the pain and the struggles. And I'm so thankful. I know God and there's a God that mourns with us when we're mourning and who comforts us. That's not what I'm saying. So please don't hear that. But I am saying that God is bigger than your greatest struggle. That this, the greatest sin done against you is actually not meant to define your life, but the crosses. The light has stepped into the world and the darkness cannot overcome it. So do you believe that the greatest act of hate can be conquered by the greatest act of love? I do. That's where I land. And as people of Jesus, that's where we're called to land too. And I would be consumed with grief sometimes. And specifically, I remember being in the NICU after Colette was born. And God would say, Carrie, lift your head. See these nurses and the doctors in here? See these other parents and patients in the waiting rooms and the rooms next to you? You have the hope of glory living within you. No matter what your darkest moment is, no matter what your worst circumstances is, if you know Jesus, you have the hope of glory living within you. And your pain creates unique pathways and doorways to speak this truth into other people's lives. He would say, your doctors need to hear about this hope of glory. The patients next door need to hear about this hope of glory. Your breaking becomes a shortcut into his presence that releases the treasure that's within to the people around you. I have so much more I could say, but I'm going to wrap it up this way. I used to be a runner. I loved running. I loved competitive anything. And I would always pay attention to the runners that won. And the runners who would win would be those that sprinted the end. And I feel like one of the things that God told me in this, one of the ways that we can be a people that sprint the end is not being people who put God's character on trial depending on the outcome. We all know people that watch the goodness of God invade their life. They see the miracle. They testify of something that happened. And five years later, we say, where are they? We look around and they're gone. And it's because those people oftentimes would put the character of God on trial. And so if their outcome came through, he was good and they could stand. But if they didn't, they were out. God's character is not meant to be on trial. It's meant to be on display in your life. You can either put it on trial and use your energy doing that, or you can say, no, I'm going to put it on display. You know, our emotions... Our emotions are so fickle, and your emotions can tell you to do anything. And emotions are powerful, and you're meant to connect with them. They are a part of us. God gave them to us, but they don't rule you. God is called to rule you.
And if your emotions allow, are allowed to put God on trial, then it will be hard for you to stand. It will be hard for you to win the race and to run it to win the prize. I want to be a person who runs the race to win a prize. And I want to be with the people who do so. Will you stand with me? I want to end with this verse. It's Daniel 3, 16 through 18. It's a very famous passage of scripture, and it talks about uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And it says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, but even if he does not, we want you to know your majesty that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. But even if he does not, you're, whether you feel this way or not, you're it, but even if he does not person. By the grace of God, you're called to be a person who's a even if not person. His character is not on trial in your life, but it's on display. The times of fire and trial will come, but he remains. You are an even if not person. And I don't sing. I'm so embarrassed I'm about to do this, but I felt like God said to do it. And um, there's this Hillsong um, song, Hillsong song that's out right now. It's called Another in the Fire. And there's this one phrase that they sing. And it has just rocked me. And it says, says this. Even if he doesn't, yet I will praise. Even if he doesn't, I will not bow to the things of this world. So even if he doesn't, yet I will praise. Even if he doesn't, I'm not bowing to this world. Even if he doesn't, I will praise. Even if he doesn't, I'm not bowing to this world.